This program is brought to you by the Gin Society, www.ginsociety.com. Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Roger Corsa, an Australian actor best known for his portrayals of Detective Senior Sergeant Steve Owen in the Underbelly series and Senior Sergeant Lawson Blake in the police drama Rush. He also played Dr. Hugh Knight in the series Dr. Doctor and he has an extensive TV, film and theatre career. He's a sports nut and the lead vocalist in a band called Tender Prey. And Ian Speed Kennedy, retired New South Wales Police homicide detective, serving in the New South Wales Police Force from 1968 to 1999. He's best known for catching the killers of the Anita Cobby murder. He's also a sports nut, playing rugby for Randwick and coached the Waratahs. Let's get started. Let's get started on the show today, Roger Corsa, Australian actor, and Ian Speed Kennedy, a retired New South Wales police homicide detective. So welcome, Ian. How are you, man? Thank How you. How are we, boys? Welcome yeah, to the show. Yeah, good. Hey, so, Roger, what, what does an actor do in a pandemic? Have you guys got much work on at the moment? Uh, well, look, in, in New South Wales, yep. uh, yeah, um, we're, we're gearing up to shoot Doctor Doctor Series 5 at the end of September, so we've got a we, we open our production office in about a week, so we have about a four or five week pre-production period, um, you know, scouting locations, et cetera, et cetera. But before that, we've been doing all the script work for yep. that. But I was on a show recently, uh, I just did a little guest spot, and they, they were shooting in Melbourne, and, um, you know, they had to, to close production down halfway through, and then they restarted it back up sort of six months ago, and they luckily just got it in the can literally before, like yeah. a week before they've shut yeah. out again so I'm really, really interested to have both of you guys on, on the show from two different perspectives you know, Rod you've played police detective a number of times and we've got a real police homicide detective here in Ian were you always going to go into the police force was that no not really I'm a third generation uh, policeman and right. my grandfather and my uncle were okay. um, at me all the time once I uh, got to about 18 years of age, they were at me to join and I didn't want to. I joined the public service and then after 12 months in the public service, I knew uh, this wasn't uh, exactly a, a career that I was uh, yeah. looking forward to. So I rang him up and said, rang my uncle up and said, listen, um, I'm keen to go. Can you make an appointment for me? And um, fortunately, in a sense, he knew the police doctor and rang up and got an appointment for me to have a medical and I went in and had a medical and was cleared and then I got interviewed and I was in within a matter of two or three weeks. So you finished your career in the homicide team, but you started just in in clothes and then you went to plain clothes, is I that right? I was in uniform at Darlinghurst, yep. King's Cross, worked there for about uh, three or four years. Then I moved out to uh, Randwick. Um, I was playing football then and uh, the boss of the area out of Randwick was Jack Rayner, yep. an old uh, South Sydney legend. And so uh, he, he arranged uh, for me to come out to that area and, and I was able to get Saturdays off to play football and, and things like that. So it was beneficial. And, and then I went into playing clothes in, out that area in Daceville and then Maroubra. Um, then I got asked to go into the armed hold-up squad. Yeah, um, and I spent about six years, I think, in the armed hold-up squad. Um, when bank robberies were on Fridays, you'd have uh, five or six bank robberies right across uh, Sydney you know, in those days. And uh, then after six years, I then went from there. Uh, I spent two years, I think, in the drug squad. Yep. Didn't particularly like that. And then uh, went to the homicide squad. And I had another five or six years in the homicide squad. And then uh, 
I was the boss of the of the homicide squad in South Region. They they divided the, the city up into four regions and had um, you know CIB type uh, yeah, situation yeah. in each of the regions. And uh, so I was the boss of the homicide in South Region when I when I uh, left. So Roger, when you were asked to to play the parts as a, a police officer, yeah, what sort of research do you do for that? Um, different. I mean, uh, Underbelly was based on true events. Yep, there'd been books written quite extensively about it, and they they got detectives on board as uh, uh, that who were in the Piranha Task Force, which the, the task force which was um, formed to combat the gangland murders down there in Melbourne. Um, so some of those guys and girls were advisors from script stage okay. all the way through, and then we were lucky enough to have them come on board and advisors as we were shooting as well. So you get, I got to pick their brain all the time about, you know, and we were at actual locations, if not the same location, very similar. Right. Okay. And they were like, oh, no, he came down here, he did this, he did that. You know, there's some pretty gruesome stuff that happened. There was a mm. one that stands out is, you know, there was an execution-style murder at a kid's Auskick footy game. You know, the guy came running over, a, you know, a creek, and it was one of sort of the main guys in, in the show, and he, um, you know, he shot the guy in the front seat with all the kids in the back of a, of a van you know we're sort of at that low location just to think about that all the people yeah. around and how brazen that is and I mean you know in, there was 20 of those kind of stories so um, you know we, we sort of learn off the guys and you know we had great respect for what they did and sort of the risks that they, they took uh, you know I, I was a fictional character but I was pretty much based on one detective Stuart Bateson who I yep. became mates with afterwards and you know he'd tell stories that because it was an ongoing thing as opposed yeah. to he, he's done, um, you know, homicide and things since. But because it's ongoing, they'd have to watch which way they went home. They'd have to change the route they went home every day because they were kind of sniffing around these sort yeah. of uh, these gangsters. And then, you know, they'd start following people home. So, it's, it's, Ian, do you take a lot of your work home with you? You try not to, yeah. but it's very hard. Um, when I was doing the Anita Cobby um, murder, we were working, you know, 17 hours, 18 hours a day. And I'd come home and my wife would be saying, you know, what's happening? How's it going? How long are you going to be doing this? And, and I had a family and, you know, you, you try and separate uh, your family from it. And if you do sometimes... Um, and wasn't your son born? My son was, was born, born at the at same time, time yeah. and he had a few, we had a few problems with him. Um, he had some bowel problems and he was born deaf as we found out. And uh, so he needed uh, some operations and some uh, extra medical attention and... Uh, that was difficult. My wife was doing a lot of that while I was uh, running around. And um, so, you know, the family do suffer uh, when you do an extended inquiry like that. That went for, lucky enough, it went for only three and a half weeks. We were pretty mm. successful in restricting the time in, in yeah. a sense. But, um, you know, some of those cases, major cases, uh, where it's a huge outcry from the government and the public to get a result type of thing, you can be working on them for six and eight weeks. Mm. Uh, and you imagine the... The trauma that the family Stress. goes through. Yeah. Uh, do you have to be somewhat unemotional in a lot of ways? To hand, I think to you, become, you become that way when you, um, you know, e- even a, even uniform people, I mean, they, they see car smashes where kids are yeah, involved right. and killed and train smashes and mm. just domestic violence. And uh, there's a lot of people that suffer from PTSD. There's no doubt about that. But after a while, you just get to a stage where... You hope your training puts everything in place and you certainly feel it, there's no doubt about that, but you're just able to um, focus on what you're doing. Yeah. So just on that, Roger, how, how do you, if you're playing a detective, to be an actor you've got to be emotional, I'm, I'm assuming, you've got, you've got 
for your performance, but you're playing an unemotional sort of role or stereotype. How, how does it? How do you do that? Oh, you, you, it's all about empathy, you know. Yeah. So you, you, you try and put yourself in someone else's shoes and, and, you know, you do all the sort of the research and then you kind of throw it away in, yep. in, in a sense and just try and act as if you would if you were in the same type of situation. Yeah. You had the same sort of history as, as, as you know, who you're portraying, like with, with the cops. Um, so, I mean, the, the, what was great, we literally had, you know, them on set, you know, that wealth of knowledge. We could actually ask questions all the time, which was great. It was funny that one of the first, the first scenes, I'd played, I played one cop before in that one, I think, one of the first scenes. Uh, it's a scene, if you remember, there's, uh, there's Alphonse Gangitano, played by Vince Colosimo, mm. and we were sort of facing off in this sort of driveway. Just Someone's just been sort of shot. And um, it, I got pulled up by one of the, one of the advisors because I, I'm... I'm left-handed, so I had my gun on my, on, on my left hip, but I, I led with my left hip. And he goes, mate, that's like having your balls hanging out there. <laughs> to drive. He goes, you don't lead with your gun on your hip. And goes, it's like, you know, it's like a tennis serve or your, yeah. or, or, or your batting stance yeah. or anything, you know, and you, you put that to the back, yeah. you know, and your hand is sort of there, and you know, you mm. know, where people are in the vicinity, you know, if someone's around the back, your hand sort of goes near yep. that because that's a loaded weapon on your hip. And yeah. it's like, oh, good point. And it just changed the way I stood. Wow. It changed the way I stood for the rest of the... Just gave me a bit of grounding and just little things like that. So, which you know, a novice like me had no idea. Yeah. So. The script would also help you know what the script is, and you know when it's uh, something that's emotional or something that's uh, fairly horrific. So, you're aware of, um, in a sense, how you have to behave at that stage. You know? Yeah. Well, I suppose you know they've got a job to do. I mean, how you know the, the emotional sort of you know, characteristics you need to display depends on the scene you know like yep. if, you, uh, if you have authority and there's someone yep. then you need to show that authority then you obviously keep it down if it's a scene where you come home and they want to dramatise that a bit to your, your partner okay. maybe then that, that's when you let it all kind of yep. sort of hang out and that's sort of you know, part, of, part of the drama so we might take a break and order some lunch now the Centennial Hotel what a, what a beautiful room this is actually here in Willara let's start with some I think the oysters are pretty good here the Sydney Rock Oysters and then for a main, I'm going to have the Jack's Creek Sirloin French Fries Watercress Mustard Butter Bernays Sauce. That looks magnificent. How good's the Centennial Hotel? It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch with Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. All listeners of Lunch with Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit www.ginsociety.com and just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. 
In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. I live at Clontarf, near the Spit Bridge, and you were part of the, the Spit Bridge siege yes. many years ago. Want to talk us through that? Yeah, it was a Friday afternoon, as I said, a bank robbery. Um, I happened to be in the car by myself that day, which is a little bit unusual. I was in the armed hold-up squad. We used to uh, get told by the boss, get out on the road Fridays afternoon, you know what they're like with uh, the bank robberies. <laughs> in those days, you know, there'd be six or seven on a Friday afternoon, <laughs> and, and a, thousand, a thousand a year type of thing, you know. So anyway, I just happened to be uh, in that in the area over at North Sydney when a uh, fellow decided to hold up a bank, and um, so I headed off at, uh, at, with the siren going to get over there, and he took off, and I followed him. I chased him, and we went down the, towards uh, the Spit Bridge, and I got on the radio and said, look, we're heading down towards the Spit Bridge. Can you raise the bridge? Which they did, and he got stuck in traffic, and I started uh, pulling around on the wrong side of the road to get up closer to him. And... Um, there was other police there and a bit of a gunfight um, ensued Jeez. and um, he was shot dead and um, that was the end of it. And the police officer you were with, he also got shot and got a, a nickname yes. born out of that. Yeah. Well, he had a, uh, was another fellow from the armed hold-up squad in another car and he had a shotgun and it was a double-barrel shotgun. And we used to normally shoot from the hip, but in this case he lifted it up and he was pointing it at him um, shotgun and the bloke turned around and fired at him and it bounced off the barrels of the shotgun and lodged between his <laughs> eyes at the top of his nose in the heavy bone there and didn't penetrate into his brain and um, he went to hospital and, and you know when you see a mate laying down there bleeding and he's got a hole in the front of his head Jeez. Um, that, yeah. that can be a little bit uh, emotional for you Anyway, he went to hospital and they pulled it out and he was okay. And no serious damage, just that it, it stopped. So his nickname now is Beady Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and if I see him, I just half the time say, G'day Beady, you know, and I've got speed, G'day speed. Yep. And, and most people had nicknames. It's a type of, when you're working in a group together and you're involved in different things, someone can do something very good and get a good nickname or you can yeah. get one that's not so uh, flattering type of thing. Uh, and everyone had nicknames. It's a, it was a... That was the, the way it was in those days. But um, Mark Tully always says that uh, if you haven't got a nickname, you're not, not a decent bloke. So oh, well. Have you, uh, have you got one? Yeah. <laughs> one that I can't uh, mention oh, really? on the podcast. Of, uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> but I, tell, I, I was going to ask Roger a question because um, we're talking about you know, taking yeah, work home with you. Um, <clears throat> but every time I turn on the TV, you're, you're kissing another good sword. I mean, that must be traumatic, mate. It, well, it is. It is for home life. Uh, no, my wife. My wife's like, it saves her the trouble, she says. <laughs> so, don't come bothering me. I like her. I like her. It's funny. Um, yeah, I look, she's an actress as well, so... Um, um, she gets it. Yeah, I just get it more, uh, so to speak. Um, no, she, she was a stage actress, uh, so, you know, I have to do that kind of stuff. But look, they're really embarrassing, and, you know, you've got 50 people, you know, 40 crew standing over you in a room, and... 
and you know they cut it together. It's five seconds at this angle and ten seconds yeah, there. Gotcha. So, so you're, yeah. you're lying, you're lying there in a, in, a, in a bed with a sheet over, going, "Oh yeah, and, you know, it's nice weather today, isn't it?" And, you know, you know, did you see, did you see what you know Scamo said today yeah. on the barber and. And then, right, and back into it, yeah. and, then, and then cut, and then oh, roll off again, and you know what I mean. So it's a surreal kind of, Hilarious. you know, kind of kind of thing. So it's it's far less sexy than what it what it seems. If you're enjoying this episode of Lunch with Lee, you might want to check out a previous one with Mark Taylor and Nick Far Jones about their leadership roles in life after the highs of being a top performing sportsman. You're both, you're both sport, sports nuts. I know that. I know, Roger, you love your AFL and your cricket and, and, and you're, you're a bunny supporter. Good man. Oh, you're a bunny supporter too, Ian? Yeah, I am. Yeah? Yep. My now, brother-in-law, my wife's brother, played uh, first grade with Souths. Right. Uh, Mark and, Lyons, who was a prop. And, and you, uh, you played with Ramwick and you also coached the Waratahs, or New South Wales team, yeah. I coached the Australian Under-21 team for wow. six years and then uh, took the Waratahs. And, yeah. and, it, and that's how you got your nickname, playing footy? Playing football, yes. I, I went. I was at school. I was at Sydney Boys High, and uh, the first grade centres then were John Brass and Phil Smith, yep. two uh, yep. future Wallabies, and then both played uh, rugby league. Phil played with South, and Brassy played with uh, East. And um, I was in third grade. I was a third grade hooker at school. I was only a little short, short uh, okay. fellow. And I was a third grade hooker. We used to train against first grade, just uh, warm ups and train with them. And then uh, we had a game of touch, and I got the ball out on the wing with about. 15 metres to go, no one in 30 yards, and Phil Smith ran me down. And he ran behind me with his hand in the air and said, go, speed, go. And uh, so I, I had it at school, and I've had it ever since. It was nicknamed that one. Should have been speed less. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Roger, one of the things we try and talk about on Lunch with Lee is, is doesn't like things about men's health. We talk, we talked about before about you know, what you take home with you and the, and the sort of the... Now, the, the real mental side of things that, that happens and that comes with with your job. But you were just on the, the front page of Men's Health. Oh, that's a couple of years ago now. I wish I I I wish kept that rig. Yeah. Uh, but I, I slowly got uh, I slowly got the, the tummy back. But, um, yeah, no, I, I did that for a role. Yep. So I had to shed a bit of, shed a bit of, uh, shed a bit of weight to play uh, a zombie, of all things. All right. They don't eat much. So, uh, yeah, so I had, to, had some trainers and, and, and so forth. And it's not, nothing like having that cover shoot coming up to, to, to make keep you out of the biscuit barrel. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, try, train hard for that. So that was, that was actually really, really good because you're forced to, you know, drop, drop the grog a bit, little bit yep. and um, watch what you eat and, and everything. And it was probably a bit, a bit extreme to, to, to keep. But, uh, you know, somewhere, somewhere in between was, was, actually, was actually good. Um, I'll ask you both this question. I'll start with you, Ian. What advice would you give to a, a young person that said they want to go into the police force? Do it. Do it? You do something different just about every day. Okay. Um, there's trauma, no doubt about it, and, and unpleasantness. But there's also plenty of times when you uh, do things that are um, part of your duty and you get great satisfaction from mm-hmm. You also meet some wonderful people. Um, especially, say, in homicide, like uh, the Lynches, who are the parents of, of Anita Cobby, they're just, they were sensational people. Yeah. And, um, you know, he did so much for uh, for the victims later on with the, with the homicide victim support yeah. group. So um, I, I'd encourage people um, to go in. It's, as I said, it's something different every day. Great people you're working with and great people that you, mm. you'll meet. You'll meet some, some crooks and, uh, sure. and terrible people and have terrible... Uh, crimes to look at sometimes, but um, you know, is the, is the worst thing when you've got to knock on the door and tell mm. parents that their child is no longer with them. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's always been uh, one of the things. That's not necessarily a job for detectives, although no. we used to do it in, in a homicide squad because you'd want to know who the relatives are and talk to them. But um, plenty of times where, unfortunately, someone might get, say, uh, killed in Western Australia and uh, they live in Sydney and they'll ring up and say, can someone go around to this address in Sydney and oh. tell them that their son's been uh, killed? Or, and it's not just for murders, it's for car accidents yeah. and uh, misfortune and things like that. So uh, that's a terrible thing to do. It's, um, you know, uh, and we found that it's better to tell the truth and, uh, and tell them some of the hard parts rather than keep it and have them either hear it in the press and, uh, or other people yep. tell them things. Be honest and be frank and hopefully they'll only get hurt once when you tell them. And what's, that, what's the feeling like when you, when you catch them? Is it elation? What is it? Is it, is it just like relief? What's the it's, I think it's relief. It's not elation. We don't go around jumping up and down saying we've caught them, we've got them and things like that. It's, um, you've got other people to think about uh, and there's no sense in getting any enjoyment out of the fact that you've caught someone who's killed someone. Um, it's great satisfaction, yeah. but uh, you, you temper that. You don't want to show off. Um, and it's not a matter of that. It's also a, a team effort. You, you, you don't do it all yourself. You've got sure. a lot of people that are involved in things like that. And, and then you've got the, the, the relatives. They're not going to jump up and down. The, as Like with Anita Cobby, you know, when I went round the first time when we got three of them, I said, look, you know, we've got three of them. We're looking for two more. And they went, oh, five, you know. Jeez. Um, but you can't keep that. I didn't want them to hear it in the press that, oh, yeah. the police have got through and they're searching for two more and I only why, told why them that we had three. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to be honest and, and uh, you know, honesty is the best policy. So. Yeah. And Roger, what, what advice would you give to a young child who wants to go into the media or the acting career? Uh, choose the police force. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> look, you've got to love it. You have to love it. Yep. Because there's a lot of downtime. And that's even for someone like myself who, you, you know, I think from the outside people think that you're working all the time and there's always something on. I've, you know, regularly three and four month periods of, you know, doing not much. I think, I think uh, like anything, music or anything, you've, you've got to be able to, I think, incorporate creating as well yep. as just, you know, if a muso waiting for that record deal to come up or waiting for someone to, to, to cast you in some great film or television show. If you're creating content, as well because there's lots of platforms now yes. you know from web based stuff to you know everyone's got different streaming services to you know your old 7, 9 and 10 kind of stuff um, if you're out there creating you're far more valuable if you're you know a creator not just you know a jobbing actor or, or, or musician so I think you've got to have look at the industry holistically and yep. see, see what other thing you can maybe do a um, couple of strings to your bow I think really, really would, uh, would help you out gotcha and what, what did you learn from sport? teamwork teamwork yeah like if we're, if we're investigating any crime, you know, it's not one person that does it all. Sometimes that happens. It's yeah. one person just manages to uh, to solve it. But uh, it's, it's all teamwork. It's all about uh, um, putting your heads together, assessing a plan and what you're going to do and then uh, executing it, so getting the staff, uh, things like that. Uh, and what, what are you doing with yourself in retirement? At the moment, not very much. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good reader anyway, I'm lucky. But okay. uh, I, I'm a golfer. Um, I'm, okay. I've got a dog that I walk every day for a bit, over an hour, so I, nice and I enjoy that. That just gets me out of the house. Uh, golf is uh, uh, something. I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty active type of person. I swim uh, in the surf club and things like that, so uh, you know, I've got plenty of time. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. I was really interested to, to try and get a perspective on what it's like to play 
a police officer and what it's actually like to be one. I haven't been nervous at all um, interviewing anyone. I was actually, for some reason, nervous what to ask you or what not to ask you. So I appreciate your um, your honest answers, mate. I really do. And um, we're going to have, have some lunch now at the Centennial Hotel good. here. We're going to have an O'Brien beer. Enjoy the afternoon. So thanks for coming on the show, guys. Pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, boys. That's it for Lunch With Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guest Roger Corso and Ian Speed Kennedy. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes and making things happen. And thanks to our sponsors, the Gin Society, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. And a big thank you goes out to the Centennial Hotel in Wallara, Sydney. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars. And if you're passionate, leave a review. And come check us out in our socials. I'm at Lunch With Lee. Next week, we'll be chatting some more complete legends to discuss more about music, sport and business on another Cracker episode of Lunch with Lee. We'll see you then.